Hello, everyone. Welcome to Play Along Podcast, a podcast where we play through games. If you missed last week's episode, we played through Frog Fractions. A little fun interstitial between both of our main games, but now this is the first episode of Metal Gear Solid. I'm your host, Jared. Today, I'm here with Kai. Hello. <laughs> and I'm also here with Ben. Hi, hello. That was such an energetic start, Kai. Yeah, yeah, thank you. I was really expecting. Pumped. I was really expecting you, Ben, to also have a long pause and then, and then say hello <laughs> to the audience. No, I, I'm I'm very much like I'm very for this episode because this is like <laughs> this is the beginning of the crazy, crazy experience that you guys won't forget. Well, and it's also been it's been an experience already. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm excited about the rest of this game. Um, yes, we are playing through Metal Gear Solid. Uh, in this first chunk, we're just playing through the Revolver Ocelot fight. So we're stopping there. Um, but Ben, do you want to kind of explain <laughs> Metal Gear Solid a little bit before we jump into this? Um, Since both of us have no idea what this complicated-ass game is even talking okay, so, about. Okay, so Metal, Metal Gear Solid is um, technically... Right, bear with me here. It's technically the third installment in the franchise, but chronologically, it's like the fourth game. Um, yeah, so basically, it follows it follows on from the two SNES from the two. I think it was the SNES games. Yeah, and it's one of the first 3D stealth games. It's definitely the first 3D Metal Gear game, and you play as Metal Gear. Well, you play as Metal Gear. You play as Solid Snake. Metal Gear Solid. Yeah, you play as Metal Gear Solid. Yeah, you play as Solid Snake, who is a now-retired espionage expert and is basically a legendary soldier capable of infiltrating bases single-handedly and carrying out black ops for the US government. But not a snake. No, he's the, not a snake. Which was the first big disappointment for me of this game. The, oh, confirm, I forgot to, I forgot to say this to you. So all of the people in Foxhound, which is the group that Solid Snake belonged to, get given a code name based on their ability to perform. Um, and, uh, and Snake is hung. Like <laughs> That's not an Snake expression. Is, <laughs> yeah, he, Snake is one of the... He's like the second... I think Snake is the second best code name you can get. Uh, Grey Fox being the first one. Which is... Um, I don't. Did you guys read the source material before you jumped in? Source material. Uh, yes, yes, we actually did go through it. Uh, not a lot of the information was retained during that, <laughs> but so, um, we did in fact read it. I found out that I didn't know Metal Gear was like uh, a giant robot nuke machine. Wow, wait a yes. the way. Yeah. Well, so, <laughs> no, so, so Metal Gear, uh, in this game, you are infiltrating a base called Shadow Moses, which has been taken over by six... Foxhound operatives, which is Solid Snake's old uh, squad, um, and they have overtaken it, and they are demanding the remains of Big Boss, who is like the legendary best soldier in the world, mm-hmm. um, because reasons that we'll get into later in the game. And basically, they're threatening to launch a nuke onto America if the White House don't meet with their demands. Mm-hmm. Um. And that's that's what Metal Gear is. Metal Gear is... There have been many different evolutions of Metal Gear, um, but 
the common theme is that Metal Gear is a bipedal walking tank capable of carrying out massive destructive warfare on its own. Yeah, this game's wild. Yeah, it's, the story is great. I mean, I'm not I'm not unfamiliar with batshit crazy stories. Like, I'm a Kingdom Hearts fan, so I'm already like I, I'm used to complicated stories for the reason of just because it's complicated. <laughs> so, but cheesy. Yeah, this there's there's so much like verbiage and lore just thrown at you, like words mm-hmm. like Gray Fox and words like Big Boss, and you're like, I don't know what any of this means. Yeah, it does. As you as you go on, it does start to make sense. Um, but it's one of these games where, like, it kind of very very slowly builds the plot up right. over the course of the game, mm-hmm. and then very 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 quickly unravels it with like turns. I think there's off the top of my head, there's at least four or five plot twists in this one game. Ooh, I like um, twisty. So it's like, you know, everything's like a straight road and you think you understand what's happening and then all of a sudden you get about three quarters of the way through the game and shit just... You think shit's crazy now? Just wait. I was like, there was like five plot twists in the first in hour the, we played. In the, in the yeah, I've got, I've got notes on here. Um, and I've, I've noted already we have four conspiracies of the game <laughs> and we are like an hour into it. But you, do, you see, do you see what I mean now about the game being very cutscene heavy? Oh, yeah. And I think that... It, it, at least for me, it's going to be hard not to kind of immediately compare this to Ocarina of Time because this is it came out the same year, the game we just played. But this is so different from that. Like, obviously, first of all, there's just a lot more cutscenes in this game than there is in Ocarina of Time. And there's voice acting, which is very... I think it's, it's done pretty well. I think I told you when we were playing, I was like, it's not, like, amazing or it's not, like, great, but those actors give it their all. Like, they go mm-hmm. all out. Like every single time you die, like there's just someone screaming that you died. <laughs> so, so for the <laughs> yeah, every time, every literally time. every time, and we died a lot. So there's a lot of uh, to give some some context for those of you who are playing through. This game was released in 1998 for the PlayStation One, uh, and it was yes. made by the famed game maker Hideo Kojima, yep. who is known for many things. Um, but most recently, what is he most recently known for? Which is that game with Death Stranding. Death Stranding. He's not part of go. Konami anymore. Uh, Kojima has a very specific style of making games, which is very related to film, yeah. which is why there's a lot of cutscenes. And uh, that was actually one of the things that I was most impressed with yeah. uh, with the first hour. But we'll, we'll get into that. The first thing we were recommended to do by Ben was play through the training. Um, <laughs> so we can start there. The, mm-hmm. the, training, yes. was, the, the training was actually pretty fun. Like, I was was for it. Yeah, and this is where I get into, like, what I think is really impressive about this game is some of the... uh, There's there's mechanics that I have issue with, which we'll get into later with boss fights and whatnot. But uh, other than that, this game is really impressive. I mean, being able to... When you press triangle, it goes into first person. Having the whole game essentially rendered in first person, I think, is really cool. Um when you lean up against against walls, the whole camera angle kind of changes so you can see around the corners or, you know, you can view your enemies easier. Uh, you can knock on walls to attract different enemies. There's a lot of really cool mechanics that I, is, I think is really impressive for, you know, how old this game is. 
I'm just curious because I realize we haven't done this actually. What is because I mean, people know of my experience with the game because this is right. like one of my favorite games of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was, you know, I've said before, this was like the game that kind of shifted my style of games that I right, played and right. kind of became a bit more of an adult gamer. But what are your guys' experience with it? Well, for me, I have very, <laughs> very little experience with Metal Gear uh, as a genre. I think that I've I'm a fan of kind of the stealth games. My approach is usually be stealthy and then get caught and then just try shooting a bunch of people. <laughs> That's usually the hitman approach when we play those games. Um, but I think prior to playing this for the podcast, I had played through uh, Ground Zero, which I think was kind of like the, the the intro to Metal Gear Solid Five, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, I played a little bit of that. And then I played a little bit of, uh, I think it was Revengeance on the 360. Metal Gear Solid. That's not even a Metal Gear Solid game. That's like a Metal Gear game in the franchise, but it's not. Yeah, so those would be my only experiences with, with Metal it's... Gear in general. Sorry, is that uh, that's the one with Raiden, right? Yes. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember I like I, I gravitated towards that game because it had a really cool uh, the sword mechanic. Like, you could slow down time and use the analog stick to kind of angle your sword, and you can cut people into, like, a bunch of little bits. Yeah, that one's that one's a bit of a... I don't want to say it's controversial in the community, but it's <laughs> it's a much more of like a DMC style game yeah. compared to like the oh, Metal no, Gear it's, Solid it's, it's games. It's very like uh, action adventure than stealth oriented. Hmm. What about Kai? I have no experience with Metal Gear generally. Never, never really was attracted to the franchise. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that the title Phantom Pain was absolutely hilarious, <laughs> uh, which is really the first time I ever paid attention to a Metal Gear game. And yeah. I was like, I can't believe they named a game Phantom Pain. But uh, that, was, that was my experience. And then going into the training, I was like, oh, this game is like a, like a, like a puzzle game almost. Because mm-hmm. the training isn't like the actual main story. It no. takes place in these digital realm i guess of like different puzzles you have to solve a different like using different mechanics yeah it's like it's teaching you how to play the game basically but the environment is completely different than the actual game um so i was like oh it's like a it's like a puzzle game like you're gonna do like different like kind of path-based things almost like this level it's like you would do this level then move on to the next level kind of situation yes and i think there's 10 of them yeah and they're i think they're pretty good at Mm -hmm kind of giving you the basics there are some things that uh we didn't know that you could do uh like running and shooting and c4 generally that probably would have been good to include in the trainings at the beginning but you know yeah because i don't think that there's any part of the training that teaches you how to use kind of your inventory no like weapons or anything like that that was something that we had to learn in in combat it, yeah, it's more just mechanical, is... like crouching and knocking on walls and, you know, going yeah, first yeah. person, avoiding, uh, avoiding enemies and, like, security cameras and stuff like that. It's... The training's strange because it's kind of like... It's almost like it's teaching you the mechanics, but it's not fully teaching you the mechanics. Like, it's allowing you to dip your toes into the world mm-hmm. just enough so you feel like, okay, I'm, I can play this game and not get absolutely annihilated because i mean if you there's actually a surprising amount in the first area of the game that could lead to you being caught or killed or whatever um so yeah i mean do you want to jump into the actual game sure yeah let's do it so the the game opens 
in cutscene. <laughs> a cutscene. Like all like all things in this game. It starts with a cutscene. Yes, that's the Oh, okay, you tell us keep going. Uh yeah, the, the cutscene starts with Snake and he's swimming uh you're underwater, yeah. swimming kind of up into this cavern. That's where you start at the beginning of this this underground cavern and it's like this uh this tanker, this tank facility that you're infiltrating. Um and like you were saying, this is kind of our first real feel with the mechanics of the game. You said we did the training, but it's it's a little different than than uh, the actual combat. <clears throat> um, so yeah, you get into the cavern, and there is a handful he of coughed. guards there. Oh, fuck, damn it. Got the insult bit now. It's going to happen <laughs> literally every 30 seconds. We can't. Well, it's only happened once. So how long have we been recording? <laughs> anyway, to, to, to even before you get to the gameplay... The oh, kind of cinematic stylings of this game is very apparent because there's swelling music as you're oh, yeah. swimming it's up in like, this cavern, it's and like it's very reminiscent Bond. of not necessarily Bond because that's too old. That's that was like 60s and 70s kind of action films, but very reminiscent of like 90s, like Transporter oh, and yeah, films yeah. like like especially the European kind of you know action films of that time. Um, it was just instantly I was like taken to a place. I was like, oh, I know exactly what this is going to feel like and like what the yeah. world is like because of, you know, just the music and the angles that they were using. And obviously, you know, it is an old game. So graphically is a little lacking than what we're used to, but it still feels very well shot. Yeah. And that was one of the things like even early in the game, the camera angles that they decided to use were much more than I expected. And especially after playing Ocarina and like it's very limited it's kind of just like one camera position for every scene you know there'll be four or five different angles you'll see in cutscenes in this game which is yeah is really impressive yeah and i think yeah. that where where kind of the character renderings maybe the the characters themselves the facial renderings lack they make up with with these kind of big dramatic camera angles because you know, like you said ocarina of time kind of had that one singular angle but the characters seemed a little more fleshed out i mean my first note in my notes here is why doesn't salt snake have any eyes because it's just kind of like yes. a dark line above <laughs> where like his forehead is and there's not actually eyes there and i was like Whoa. yeah i mean i kind of i kind of i'm glad you guys said that because it's you what you have is two games that came out of roughly the same time right but they went for very different styles so you know ocarina although it feels a lot more narrow in terms of what you can do, like, you know, there isn't this sweeping camera angles and the stuff on the wall is JPEGs, but mm. the character models are a lot more defined and they actually look right. like characters. Like, okay, they're polygonal, but they kind of, they went for defined character models over a defined environment. But with Metal Gear Solid, what they've done is they've gone for the defined environment and mm. as a result, yeah. other things in the world aren't as crisp as they could be. Yeah, because I, I mean, know. obviously, they only have. Sorry, I was going to say like they they yeah. only have like a finite amount of processing power. Right. So right. if you, if you if you you know if you direct it at the environment, then it takes it away from. Yeah. Everything else. Yeah, but what I was going to say is I don't think that I. Maybe you guys can chime in here. One's necessarily better than the other. Because you know, in Ocarina, this time where I don't think that focusing more on the characters and having a less defined environment made Ocarina of Time's world feel any like, you know, less magical or anything like that. And then vice versa with Metal Gear Solid, they did have these really cool environments that were well-defined and the characters were less so, but I think the voice acting helps bring the characters to life a little more. So it, I don't feel like I'm missing out more because 
know, Solid Snake doesn't have any eyes and his head kind of bobbles up and down when he talks. <laughs> yeah, well, is what you that I don't know how to explain it. What am I trying to say? So in Zelda, <laughs> like in Zelda, you don't really need a defined environment. Because the Zelda is much more based on the characters, at least in Ocarina. Mm-hmm. You know, you're much more concerned about right. the conversation between Link and Zelda or Ganondorf and whoever, you know. Right. You're much more concerned about the dialogue and what is actually happening. Whereas I feel like Metal Gear Solid is much more about, you know, hey, you're this main character on this espionage mission. And it's much more about making you feel as if you're in that environment. Right. And so, I mean, I can't imagine playing Metal Gear if it had, like, you know, like, if Snake was really well-defined, but everything else looked like dog shite. Yeah, and, <laughs> it and I think work it, for that game. I right. think it also comes down to, you know, the goal of what the creators were doing. Nintendo at the time were focused on making video games. And Zelda right. feels like a video yeah, game, which is right. why it's such a famous one, is that it really, like, it was focused on being that it was focused on being something that's enjoyable and, and like a player's first game. Whereas this is more like, what can I really do with story and with camera and with filmmaking tools, but also make it an enjoyable, you know, game in itself, which is right. something I think Kojima has focused on in his entire career is like, I want to do something that's artistic and is very interesting less. And, and, you know, there are like realistic cutscenes in this game where there's actual footage from like rockets being launched and stuff <laughs> that was wild which is like yeah, yeah. it's a hard cut because obviously it's completely graphically different but you could tell that there's like it's trying to be realistic yeah and and that's something that zelda never was trying to be and never you know it, it didn't make sense to make it that way because it's yeah. a fantasy game yeah. whereas this is like world. they want you to feel like oh i'm a spy and these are the stakes and this mm-hmm. is why you know i need to carry out this stuff so I just yeah. think it's two different it's two different goals at the yeah. end of the day that that we're trying to be reached and and honestly interesting looking at you know the the processing power of the Nintendo sixty four compared to the PS one the Nintendo sixty four was kind of ahead right. of the PS one at this time which is you know weird to think especially with the path that you know Sony took with the PlayStation moving forward being kind of more of that adult system whereas Nintendo right. more went more family focused yeah. Um, but even even at this point, when both of them were kind of in their you know precursor to what they become, you can see their path. Like you can see, Nintendo was making those conscious decisions to be that like mm-hmm. bubbly, more family friendly, more game focused company. Whereas Sony was really wanting to move forward and, and being something that was a little more realistic and a yeah. little more gritty. I mean, if you look um, at all their first party stuff, it's very like yeah, cinematic. It's in- and and obviously, I, I wasn't old enough at the time. You know, I was born in 96 and this is 98. I was two. So I didn't have, you know, the the insight of looking back and now really looking at these things. It's so interesting to see kind of their trajectories were already mapped out with this. And I mean, even our exposure, like I think our first dabble in the PlayStation was the PS2. And that still was like a mascot game for us. We we did Sly Cooper and Ratchet and Clank and Jack and Daxter. Like there was still that family friendly. And we didn't dive into those a lot mature games like these until much later. Yeah. Yeah, it's... um it's definitely i i'm not saying one is better than the other you know yeah. but they metal gear is definitely much more of a cinematic experience and it's as we progress through the game you'll kind of notice that there are like a lot of philosophical themes <laughs> which is something that kojima is is also known for like right. he's 
his work is i mean this is i'm not going to talk about it because i'll talk about it forever but like death stranding a lot of people gave that game shit because they were like you know oh it just looks nice but okay the gameplay was essentially walk from here to here right but there was a lot more to it it was the the conversations that were made in the game and the game was made to kind of make you question like okay well where are where is humanity going you know where are we going to get to what is going to happen if we keep going down this path that we're on yeah and i know it sounds weird to say that like Metal Gear solid is going to get philosophical but (laughs) you've already seen not to jump too far ahead but in the cutscene with the darpa chief you know there's a lot of talk and with kenneth baker as well there's a lot of talk baker god damn it there's a lot of talk of like you know the effect of nuclear waste and you know countries arming themselves and yeah (laughs) you know there's a lot of deep talk about you know the state the world is actually in i was gonna say surprisingly relatable conversations in 2021 well well, not only that but it's even more you know pressing in in that time period in the 1990s that was a huge thing of nuclear proliferation outside of you know major countries like russia and china that was kind of the first time that smaller countries with large amounts of wealth like countries in the middle east and african nations could get their hands on nuclear material to build nuclear weapons and and you know obviously north korea is a big topic now but at this time and kind of what they're focusing on there's a lot like almost a mini documentary in part of this game that you watch about you know these countries having nukes and then america needing to or the u.s needing to protect itself from these you know enemies abroad which is yeah an incredibly you know deep topic to be trying to tackle in a video game in 1998 but it's it's very interesting i will say i found it a little on the nose like like i get it oh yeah yeah but but he really kojima really puts it out there like it's not it's not subtlety it's not like subtext of being like we need to protect ourselves it's literally like there are these people and they're gonna attack us and we need nukes and it's like all right all right i get what you're doing here you don't need to (laughs) yeah you don't need to force it i um just to kind of bring it back i wanted to talk because you guys were talking about uh, I think we briefly spoke about the codec, um, yeah, yeah. which is like the the communication system. Yeah, yeah, I I never realized this before, but I was just looking through my notes, which made me remember. Like, so the codec, the idea is that it is implanted in his ear, and it vibrates very quietly, and only he can hear it go off, and only he can hear what is being said to him. So I, I think it's like essentially like a radio. Like, there's a frequency that you talk to people on. But I've only just realized in playing it now for the podcast that there is nothing to stop other people hearing Snake. Like if they just turn to that, like... No, no, oh, no, no like him just, out loud, just, just, just oh, talking yeah, no, no, to no, himself. Like, just just standing yeah, next to the guard, like, is just yelling? There's like this whole, you open the codec and there's this like whole kind of scene that takes you away from what's actually happening. But you can call people on the codec while there is a soldier around the corner from you. And it, I mean, probably for good reason, it has no effect on the game. Like, you don't get caught, but... It'd be interesting if they made, like, a mechanic where you had to be, like, a certain distance away from enemies to activate your codec, and if you were too close to them, then it would, like... But it's also just that they took... The game takes the time to explain that the codec can only be heard by you. No, I understand. But but the the huge plot hole is that everyone can hear you. Your inner ear doesn't wiggle and make noises, so you can't talk back (laughs) to people. Yeah, it's weird how there's this whole mechanic of being able to knock on surfaces, but then that isn't played into with the codec. Right. Like, they can hear you, like, tapping on a wall, but having a full conversation (laughs) with Campbell, they're just like, oh, we can't hear you. You're just whispering really effectively. Campbell's (laughs) like, okay. 
Um, but the, the other thing I wanted to talk about is I know I made it seem really heavy before we started playing because I really laid on about how misogynistic Solid Snake is in this game. But do you it, see it, what I'm talking about? Now? It happens almost immediately. Like, one of the <laughs> and very frequently. Yeah. One of the characters, Mei Ling, who I don't necessarily know her position. She's the safe point. She is the That's communications all, all expert. Yeah, she's but... she's the one who designed the codex system, and she also designed Snake's radar that he uses. Oh yeah, military designer. Yeah, one of his quotes is like, "I didn't expect a military designer to be so cute." It's like Snake, why? Like, that's not necessary. <laughs> that's not even. That's not even Re- the worst. Read the room, bro. Men, in men a... being misogynistic at least is accurate, but it's also the women who are like, "You can strip search me," <laughs> and you're like, yeah. what? "What? Where did that well, go like, from?" A man definitely wrote that. <laughs> so just yeah, just for context, I guess for people who aren't like, so in the in the game, I guess we should talk about the radar system because that is kind of a big part that's, of the that's, game. Yeah, it's important. Yeah. Um, the the idea is that Snake has access to this radar that's displayed as a, a mini map in the corner of your screen, right. and it shows you the position of enemies as well as their cone of vision, so you can effectively dodge their cone of vision and not be seen. Um, and there's a whole kind of weird loophole in it where you can't use it in small confined areas because it's made with current technology and not <laughs> advanced technology. I don't <laughs> yeah, understand that. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. But basically, if you go into a small area where there's a lot of like resistance, the co- the it stops. You can't use your code. No, you can use the codec. You can't use your radar. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like being jammed. It's like jammed or something or whatever. It's, it's... Yeah, but... There's the, the thing you were talking about, the strip search, I realized happens in the exact same conversation as when he hits on Mei Ling. Yeah, no, no, no. They both... Yeah, just, it's back it's to like back. Back to back. So, like, he says about Mei Ling being cute, and then Dr. Naomi comes in, and he tells her how he managed to smuggle his cigarettes um, out to the mission. Um, and she makes a comment, and then he, she's like, oh, if you make it back in one piece, I'll let you strip search me. And it's like Maylin is in this conversation. Like, <laughs> we're all, she we're is all the, part of this phone. Everyone call here, guys. wants to fuck Snake. That's what we've learned. <laughs> like, like he's just hit on Maylin, and it's like, yeah, I know I said you're cute, but I'm going to strip search her when I come back from this mission. So there's something about uh, when you're fighting, when your life's on the line, you can die at any time. That just makes Snake just horny as hell constantly. He's just a horny dude. I, yeah, sure. And I, I was talking he's not to professional snake. I'm going to call right. I mean, I was I was talking to to my other half about this um, because she knows that we was playing this for the podcast, and I was kind of talking about snake being misogynistic and stuff. And I don't I don't want to make it sound as if this is like an excuse or anything, but I, the fact it's a different time is is irrelevant because you know that's not that's not an excuse for anything. But no, yeah. Um, I don't know how much of it is to do with the fact that it was made by a Japanese development team. Yeah. Because uh, obviously there's like a, a societal difference there in terms of like how women are viewed. Right, right. Yes. In uh, that part of the world compared to how they're viewed in the West. Correct. I work for a Japanese company that shall remain nameless for <laughs> many reasons, but uh, can't. My, all of my uh, bosses are Japanese business people, uh, mainly men, actually exclusively men. And there is a, a huge uh, cultural gender gap that exists that is completely blind. And here in the West, obviously, we're not 
you know, making huge progress, but making progress. And so it's always coming, you know, against the two cultures are always combating each other at work. So even to this day, there's, there's kind of a cultural difference there. And I am sure you are correct in the fact that this was made through a cultural lens that is not, you know, Western fully, which. Yeah. It's not, I mean, it's not excusable, but like, it, it, it doesn't explain why it's there, but you know what I'm saying? Like there's, but it's strange too, because it's like it, those kind of comments and those conversations just kind of fully pull you out of the the experience. You're like, oh, okay, Snake, you got to get in and you got to infiltrate this place. Go to the elevator, dodge guards. And it's like, hey, can I strip search you? It's like, what does that mean? <laughs> okay, but it's also like, not only that, like, it's it, it's also interesting because it, it is progressive in a way because they made like the most intelligent military scientists women. Like, yes. great. That, that probably wasn't accurate in the 90s. Like, that you know women in stem has always been a difficult topic to even get involved into so it's like great you did a great thing but then you made them like hit on like spies in the field like that's the most unprofessional thing you could do so it's like especially when like your whole team is listening on the conversation (laughs) yeah it's like (laughs) maybe maybe don't maybe don't campbell's just sitting there like no one's gonna hit on me (laughs) no one's one's gonna yeah i'm right here guys what i could join i'll just watch actually well, well wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> or listen. I don't really yeah, gotta listen. Um so the first area, how did you find it? The, the Just cavern. to kind of bring it back. Yeah. yeah. So you come out of the water and you come up into this area filled with like silo like a loading dock. Yeah. Like it's, if a loading dock a where it, but it's not a hangar because there's no it's like where a submarine would come up out yeah. of. Which is strange. But uh, and then there's an elevator at the very far wall, and that is your objective. Cool. After a cutscene of someone going up the elevator, it's very clear that's where you need to go. You're and- also you're also unarmed at this time. So in the very beginning, you kind of don't have any weapons. You're you're pushed to be stealthy. I think you can knock out enemies if you you know get behind them or get close to them. But the game really pushes you to be like, okay, you don't have any weapons. You can crawl. You can go underneath things. You can knock on walls. Just get to this area without getting caught. Hmm. Did you guys manage to work out how to kill the enemies? I think we just avoided them. Yeah, we just avoided them. Yeah. Oh, okay. I think I just sneaky snaked. <laughs> um, okay, I mean, just as a, you know, a solid snake tip. Um, <laughs> if you if you run up behind the enemy and hold square, snake will grab them. And then mm. if you repeatedly press square, he kind of applies pressure and breaks their neck. And then they die and disappear and drop an item okay first note number one on this game that is incredibly frustrating for me is that there is no explanation on how to do things and there's a specific part of this game that we'll get to involving c4 where you would (laughs) literally have to be a psychic to figure out how to like continue so like how are you supposed to know that pressing square several times will break an enemy's neck you really not no yeah and that's one of the things that should have been in training because yeah in a, in a sense, that is like being able to eliminate an enemy and have one less enemy patrol in an area is like literally game changing. Well, and they also like they do training on more obscure things like being able to knock on walls to uh, have enemies come, and the fact that like in certain areas, enemies could 
see or hear your footprints or your footsteps yeah. and they could like oh what's that who those footprints weren't there before let me follow them or i'm close i hear footprints but they don't all of the training has to do with movement within the environment and none of it right. actually actually like do like with engaging, the actual mechanics engaging with that <laughs> yeah like yeah. it's all just yeah. like how to avoid i mean the 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 footsteps kind of come into handy once you're up the lift because yeah. they can follow them in the snow mm-hmm. but it is a very obscure thing compared to like i don't know shooting a gun or yeah. you know they don't teach you that either being no. able to kill an enemy <laughs> like, you know the important things yeah but yeah, yeah. did so you guys did you have trouble with the lift uh no i think we got there no it was more the the heliport afterward yeah the heliport afterward was a little confusing <laughs> uh, i also like like we haven't mentioned this yet which is a very strange thing not to mention but for those of you not playing this on a PS1, there is no joystick. Yeah, because we're we. I had bought the PlayStation Classic, so I'm playing this on a PS1. Obviously, it's emulation in the little mini PS1 Classic, but we're using a PlayStation One controller, so we just have a D-pad, and we don't have any analog sticks or anything like that. Which is mm. a very strange experience. It is analog sticks don't even work with the game. Like if you have an analog controller, they don't. Oh, even so work. It just it just uses the D-pad, anyways. Yeah. Interesting. Um, no, but this is one of the things that I think is impressive about this game. The fact that it lacks not only an additional joystick, but joysticks in general. <laughs> yeah, do. The, the movement feels pretty fluid with just the D-pad. Yeah. Again, certain instances and situations make it a bit complicated, but just movement in general feels really good in this game. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's surprising. I, I, yeah. can't, I can't imagine playing it with a joystick because... There's something about using D-pad too, like you hold the up button and then you run and you press against the wall and then you hold the up button and you right. use the right to move along. And well, I mean, I don't really know how that would have... work with a joystick. Yeah, you really only have four directions that you can go in, so it makes sense that there's only a directional pad that you're using. Yeah, and and you can tell they designed the game around the lack of that, which is yeah. interesting because it's like like what you're saying, Ben, is, is absolutely right. Like the game, the way it was built was really for those four main directions. directions. Yeah. But it's like they rendered the entire game in three dimensions. Yeah. Like, because mm. you can go into three dimensions at any time. So if they yeah. just had a joystick, then you can control camera movement. Right. So it's like it's it's very strange the way that it's built and the fact that you switch between a, a top view and then first person view, mm-hmm. and then you kind of go in between those things because of the lack of a joystick because there's no camera control. So it's, right. it's it's very strange, but it works. It works yeah. incredibly well. It feels very natural to play, mm-hmm. and that's the first time like you kind of come into the elevator. And you have to hit the button. So yeah. you go into first person and then like there's these blue buttons that like line the side and you have to click on it that way. But it's like it's that kind of switching where it's like the first view of your environment you get in first person where you're like, oh, wow, this is this is really cool. But I also could tell that I think we either talked about it last episode or talked about it on our, on our own. But the GameCube uh, uh, version of this game, I think it was uh, Tw- Twin Snakes. Twin Snakes, yeah. yeah. Uh, lets you play this game in first person. And I can see how playing this game completely in first person could definitely break <laughs> break the game. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it was it lets you shoot in first person. Oh, gotcha. Um which Dear would God, be a massive help. So, so after the lift you go you, to the, you, the lift the, the fear, the first area is pretty uneventful to be honest. Yeah. You kind of you run towards the lift, somebody comes, you have to wait for someone to come down and then you get in the lift and go up and there's this cutscene where 
Snake takes off his suit and, you know, he's got like the sneaking suit underneath. He's taken off the breathing apparatus and stuff. And then he stands up and it comes up above the top of him, the logo, like Milk is Solid. Milk and then you're, you're transported to a helipad. And this is this is kind of one of the introduces an interesting mechanic. And if you're playing this in any way other than on an actual PS One, or if you're playing it through emulation, it's it's interesting. So once you get to the top of the hel- the the heliport, May Ling will explain the whole radar system and everything, and the codec and the frequency in which you save the game. So there's to save this game, you have to set it to a certain frequency, and then talk to May, and then she'll let you save the game which I have forgotten the frequency every single time I have to save. So I had to look up what the frequency is just so I could save. Um, okay. Another oh, thing the game doesn't tell you. When you're in the codec, if you press down, it will give you all of the frequencies of the people you've successfully called. Why? Why is there no explanation? I like, honestly don't know. I like, can't okay, defend that. I get it. I get it. Navi was fucking annoying but at least she like guided us at least she was like hey maybe you should play this song like and it's in the menu and you're like oh thanks like at least i know mechanic i need a navi for this game make <laughs> mailing the navi have her come up and be like hey by the way if you uh, if you press play because they're not afraid of doing it the no. goddamn general comes up all the time and he's like hey remember if you do this thing it'll work out and then he goes away, yeah just like, for like five seconds it comes up and you're there's like there's just so okay, many things thanks. that they could have done yeah. that with and i'm like he, ah. there's like one part where he tells you if you press the action button you walk down a ladder and then you get yeah, that, that's like yeah. five minutes later he tells you if you press the action button you'll <laughs> action button you'll climb up the ladder and like, those what? are the things that you can figure out you're like <laughs> oh there's a button that's called the action button there's a ladder Maybe I'll try that out. The things you wouldn't try out are pressing down on the D-pad to bring up a list of things so that you know yeah, what you're so doing. You, any person you've successfully called, their frequency automatically gets stored in the codec. So well, that- from from the codec screen, if you press down, you'll have the ones for uh, Campbell, Miller, and Mei Ling. That would have been good to know because every time I go to save, I forget. And, and then we have to look at it. Go on the internet and be like, what's the code? What's the codex frequency to save the game? It's like, it's 140.96. And you're like, great. Thanks. I'm not going to remember that. Never going to remember that. <laughs> so, wow. the, yeah, the helipad, you have a little cutscene and you're introduced to... Did you did you guys work out who the person is in the in the helicopter? No. 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 Okay. Hey, wait, is it Big Boss? Big Boss is dead. Oh. Nice treasure. Are you sure, though? Probably not, knowing how this game... He said there's like 18 plot twists in this game, so I'm assuming at some point Big Boss is alive. Uh, so you, you you come onto the helipad, and Snake looks around, and you notice that there is a helicopter in the middle of this helipad, and there is a man with long, luscious, long, luscious blonde locks, luscious locks. Uh, who who uh, climbs into the helicopter and is basically going off to shoot down these jets that Roy Campbell has deployed as like a diversion tactic so Snake could sneak in. Mm-hmm. And that's when you first get introduced to Mei Ling because she comments on how he must be crazy because there's like this massive snowstorm and he's flying a helicopter. Right. Um, and then you get introduced to Naomi Hunter. She talks a little bit about the nano machines that she injected into you to stop you getting a cold and things like that. And and yeah, and then you are told that you need to basically sneak into the facility either through the ventilation shaft on the bottom floor or the ventilation shaft on the top floor. So this is where, and I brought this up earlier, 
that even though I've never played a Metal Gear Solid game, uh, Kai and I are pretty familiar with stealth games. But for the most part, our approach is, okay, obviously I want to be stealthy. I want to go into this without getting caught. And probably 90% of the time, it's us getting caught and having to shoot our way out of the situation. And that's pretty much what happened at the heliport constantly. (laughs) Yeah. So what route did you take? I'm curious. Because there's a couple of routes that you can do here. Yeah, I I didn't realize, you know, there, I mean, I knew there were different routes, but I, I didn't find them initially. I, I came out of one of them from inside the, the facility. I was like, oh, there's a route up here. But in the beginning, I went through the, the bottom one, the one that's not up the stairs. It's like a bottom little crawl hole and you crawl down and you go through it. Um, but to get there was a lot of just... There's, there's yeah, like, a, like there's two, I think there's two approaches to this game and, and your question, Ben, kind of lets us know what approach you take, which is like the, <laughs> ooh, okay, you can, because you have the radar, so you kind of oversee where everyone is, and they kind of give you this nice, like, panning shot, like, before you really get to play. They, like, yeah. pan everything, so like, they show you all of the different, like, people that are standing around, and as well, you look through your, I don't even know what to call it, I'm gonna call it, a like, a, what is it, like, a telescope, but it's not a telescope. <laughs> oh, yeah, binoculars? they call it just a scope, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, a yeah. scope, so like, you, can, you can, like, look up, and it's, it's obviously in 3D at this point. So you can, like, look up and see where people are. So you're, like, plotting your thing. See, that's the smart approach. Because you're, like, in there. Right, this is where people are. We're just, like, well, we're just going to go forward and, like, hope we don't get caught. And we did that, you know, 20 we, times. We got really familiar with that. <laughs> also, the game over screen is so long. So long. Especially yeah. when you have to sit through it 20 times. I'm curious, actually. I just had a random fault. What button do you use to select stuff on the PlayStation Classic? Like, go through your menu? Yeah. So, it's L2 and R2 are both your, um, like, bring up your menus, and then to use those items, it's L1 and R1. Right, okay. So, like, when you're on the main menu, when you're selecting, like, new game or whatever, do you press X to select? You press circle. Ah, okay, right, it's the same, okay. Because that threw me off the first time I played this game. I constantly kept backing out of things because I pushed X instead of circle because circle is like the confirm button i was like why didn't which you is which is like so interesting as an aside that like there's a cultural understanding that, that x is like a action. Yeah, or action. action it's yeah. the button to say like yeah and circle is is b or yeah. back or circle red yeah. like but but x is an x which in iconography is like don't do this like this is bad like i don't want to do this and circle is like oh it's it's okay it's like yeah. the like which is such an interesting concept that we have this perfect definition of like what things should be. It's and this game was just like, no, circles, circles, the thing that you want to press. And you're like, no, no, it's not. <laughs> no, it will never it's, be it's, that. It's definitely interesting. Yeah. Now I yeah. see the reason I was asking about the helipad is because the helipad is also kind of an un, uneventful area. Um, mm-hmm. It's more of kind of like a stop off to go to another place. Um, but there is quite a few things you can get in that area, and I'm curious yeah. if you guys actually yeah, got anything. Because we did a bit of exploring. As, as as much as we didn't kind of plan out our route, and it was kind of like, hey, let's just see where this takes us, the whole see where this takes us mentality allowed us to explore a lot of the kind of hidden rooms and doors where we found you know, stun grenades and regular grenades and... Chaff the, grenades. Yeah, the chaff grenades and the, the, the submachine gun, all of those things, which again... Just turned out to us. But like, you found a submachine gun. Yeah, it's in, there's there's an open back of a truck, and if you climb, oh, the you back found of a sockum. It's a pistol. Oh, whatever. <laughs> you confused the hell out of me because you get you no later on you get an assault rifle. So I was like, uh, wait, oh. is there just like an early assault rifle that I didn't fucking know about? <laughs> is it not automatic? Is it just no? It's just a pistol, bro. Oh, well, yeah, it's just yeah. a pistol. 
You find a pistol in the back of the uh, truck. The only reason I know SOCOM is because I'm pretty sure there's a, a series of games called SOCOM. Yes. If I'm not mistaken. There is. So, there you go. That's on the PS1 Classic, actually. Blau, blau. Um, and those chaff grenades <laughs> are... <laughs> those chaff grenades are hella useful. They jam your radar, but... But also... Uh, you know what we didn't use one time? Chaff grenades. Chaff grenades. I use the stun grenades a lot, which just makes uh, you unable to see. Yeah, really it just anything. makes you blind along with everyone else, and you're just there in a very bright room for a minute, and you're like, wow, that was a complete waste you of You didn't even use time. like the chaff grenades on the surveillance camera. No, we just walked around them. Yeah. Because they, like, they yeah. move. So if, you you go the corner, like... if you go in the corner, you can just kind of walk, walk past yeah, them. Yeah, they've got like that blind spot underneath, and you can just... Yeah. Like, hold on. yeah. <laughs> Thank God, because we were never going to use the chaff grenades, I'll tell you that. <laughs> we were not that smart. They do come in handy in, in, later on in the game. There's also... So we... No, go on, sorry, go on. I was going to say oh. there's a room in the tank hangar where... Um... So, so you, you, you go through the vent, Hey, hang on, wait, because you went through the bottom vent, right? Yeah, we went mm-hmm. through the bottom vent. Yeah. So I don't actually know where that takes you, I'm not going to lie, because I always take the second floor vent. It still takes you into the hangar, but it just you're just a different, in a different area in the in the hangar. We actually ended up okay. taking both of them. Yeah, I was like, I came we out, went, I came we went out of to the... the to the under vent yeah. and did a bunch of stuff, and then got Locked confused out. and got lost, and so went all the way back, came out back into the heliport, and then redid it by going up to the top and doing it again. Because I got lost. Because uh, we got lost and we didn't know what to do. So, Do you get the call from Master Miller when you take the, the bomb vent? I think so. Because Probably. I think when you go in there, I automatically got like a, there's kind of like like a little cutscene. And then I got like, oh, press select to talk to... Is that. he the one who tells you about the basement? No. No. Master Miller is yeah. the, the guy with he's the sunglasses the, who's like snakes. Mentor. Yeah. <laughs> so many characters so early i'm yeah. gonna keep track of them uh, i was just curious because like i've like i said i've always taken the second floor mm-hmm. then um so i i didn't know if you got anything because the reason i take the second floor then is when you get into the tank hanger which is the next area mm-hmm. um one of the rooms there if you already have the pistol one of the rooms there has a surveillance camera that's facing the entire room which you can't avoid if you use a chaff grenade and you throw the chaff grenade in, it disables the camera long enough for you to go in and collect thermal goggles, which you can equip to give oh. you thermal vision throughout the throughout the base. Oh. No, we did get a the call from Master Miller. He's the one that talked about Alaska and all the fauna and the flora and stuff yes. like that. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I remember that. Super yeah. pretentious sounding guy. No, yeah. So yeah, that act. You get that call like immediately when you crawl through the the bottom floor, like little vent. Which okay, okay. brings me to another mechanic that I really like in this game. Fence. Fence. <laughs> <laughs> but the whole first-person calling mechanic, that's very uh, akin to, like, I mean, there was some parts in Ocarina, Ocarina of Time, and going forward in Zelda games, that's a large mechanic, too. But again, having, like, the, the single D-pad, it felt really nice. Um, one of the mechanics through those vents is you're supposed to follow mice, and the mice will lead you to... Uh, the the hangar that you need to go to, I was like, oh, super cool. You don't yeah, remember the mice? Yeah. No, I remember the mice. Oh. I doesn't doesn't the Alaskan guy talk about that? He's like, he's Maybe. like, yeah, he's like, oh, the the La- I don't know what it is, but it's pretty much like, I was like we trying to do an like, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what he sounds like because there's no voice act. Um, but he he says something like, oh, the the Fall you know mice. the Alaskan mice they're attracted to heat or something. I don't know something like that. And he's talking about all the Alaskan thing. But then that that prompts you to uh to you know follow Fall the mice, mice when you get in the air duct. It was cool. I really like that mechanic. Yeah. 
I don't know what Maybe. to talk about next. We talk about the tank hanner because the tank hanner is very. There's yeah. a lot of parts in this game that, for like especially early on in this, like the the beginning area, the heliport and the tank hanner are all very just non-action areas. You yeah, kind of travel say, through them. Yeah, there's a lot of it's a lot of similar stuff. You know, we're inside either on the heliport or inside the hangar. It's a lot of just either knock out enemies if you can or avoid the enemies. Like th- there's not a ton. Of, of difference even after kind of this little cutscene that happens where you meet with some more characters um that's when it kind of deviates a little bit before that it's just kind of like you know you're doing the same thing you're avoiding enemies you're mm. trying to get to this uh this elevator yeah yeah so you you get to the elevator and as kai said was it kai who talked about the first person shift or was it jared yep it was me no it was kai yeah there's this kind of you walk into the elevator and you turn around to look at the buttons mm. and it automatically pans into first person. And what's cool is you can see guards walk past the elevator and stuff. Which is I don't so know strange. if you guys have seen that. Yeah, yeah but... no. One of the guards like walked up and was standing in front of us. I was like, bro, he could see us like in this elevator. <laughs> like, not going to say anything? He's like, nah, I'm not going to say anything. Which but... is weird as well, because Naomi makes a big part about how these are like genetically modified soldiers with super hearing <laughs> and super sight. But if you're like a millimeter outside of their cone of vision, they can't no. see you, bro. You're not even like a blip. You're just not there. Bold, man. Yeah. like those horses uh, that have little blinders on the side of their eyes where they can't actually see outside their yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly so correct me if i'm wrong but the first thing you do after the tank hanger is you go to the 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 the, the, the military guy and free him from his prison cell or whatever it is right Durban, yeah you head the dark you head chief. to the first floor of the basement um and you are yeah your your mission your mission the first objective is to rescue the the hostages mm-hmm. uh the first one being the darpa chief and uh i believe there's a cutscene in event Did you guys are uh, you i don't know if you see it going through the first one but when you go through the second floor one you can kind of there's like grills that you can go and yeah, look like, down look yeah yeah and if you look through one of the grills it does this cutscene where they talk about how they moved the darpa chief to the first floor basement no, and I think that's did, kind of did see that. yeah, we did see that. That's that's the prompt to tell you where to go, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Mei Ling and... will also call you and point out like where the DARPA chief's location is on your radar too. Yeah. Oh yes, yeah, 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 yeah. When you get down to the floor, she's like, "Oh, that green dot's the DARPA chief." Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then also in like the first cutscene where you see the DARPA chief when you're coming across the vent, because I'm pretty sure you get in there through a vent, yeah, and then you, you like go over look, and you, like drop like, down, drop down into his cell. It also pans to the cell over where there's a, a young woman or what we presume to be a, a young woman, but, but no explanation really to who she is. She's very interested in our conversation. She, she's very interested in our conversation as we talked with DARPA chief, but she's also kind of like tattooed and soldiery. So you're like, oh, is this like one of the special warrior people that's gonna, you know, do crazy things? See, now this is, this is interesting because there are small mentions of her by other soldiers in the area depending on what you look at so there's like as you so you get to the first floor basement you run around and you climb up a ladder into a vent shaft and you're following the mouse that's taking you straight up but if you turn left there's like a little area you can go down and uh, i believe there are some soakum bullets at the end Mm -hmm. and there's a vent if you look down the vent you see a soldier who is like sitting on the toilet (laughs) We did not do that. I did not see that, no. He's on the toilet and he's like, man, 
that woman's really jacked. Like, I can't believe she's a, she's like a soldier. They, they sort of like talk about that and they say about how, you know, she can hit really hard and she's super jacked and like, and then he gets off the toilet without flushing or wiping or pulling his trousers (laughs) up and just walks out of the room. It's very weird. Hey, there's super, there's a, there's a lot of weird humor though. Like that. Oh yeah. definitely. Like just misplaced. There's, there's, as you escape <laughs> the nude guy, <laughs> yeah, like what, like as you escape the the DARPA chief. Which, wait, wait, we'll well, let's talk about the yeah, DARPA yeah, let's, let's get to that. The DARPA chief conversation because that is wild in itself. <laughs> so yeah, you you uh, you get to the, the vent and you see the DARPA chief, and then it's like, I was gonna say a little cutscene. It's really fucking not. It's about twenty five minutes long. I was like, no, it's long. There's a lot of there's a lot of there's a lot of information. There's a lot of dialogue. A lot of it. Kind Do you of want to TLDR it or? I mean, a lot of the information is like in one year out. This is this is exactly my experience of this conversation. Uh, oh, here's this person, and then you're like, wow, we're gonna free you, and then he dies. Wait, no, he that's all I. That's <laughs> all I got. You, he gives you his key card, which he only has access to level level one. So clearance. it's like, what's even the like, point? What's your point of living? Yeah. Uh, okay. And then he has a heart attack and dies. <laughs> so let me let, let me get to explain some of the lore for you. <laughs> so he is the DARPA chief. He yes. is the head of one of two companies who are, are responsible for the development of Metal Gear Rex, which is the the model of Metal Gear for this game. It is a black level secret operation funded by the pentagon um and it is basically it is america's response to the growing nuclear power of other countries and Don't so they this conversation with the other guy though it happens again afterward too. Oh, they, yeah he, he <laughs> the darpa chief yeah the darpa chief kind of like the the DARPA chief knows more about the mechanical side of Metal Gear and what it's capable of, and Kenneth Baker is more to do with the software side and like that kind of thing. Mm. Yeah, because I um, think he specifically talks a lot about like this was funded by the CIA's black money project, yeah, which yeah. means there's no limits yeah. to what we can do. It's like, yeah, right, but the, right the, the DARPA chief does he he touches on it a little bit. Gotcha. Right. Okay. Um, so basically, it's like a black ops and. It is basically capable of launching nuclear warfare from any terrain on the world to anywhere in the world. It's like, you know, the ultimate yeah. mass weapon of destruction. It's hilarious to me that, that like, like the whole premise is this Metal Gear can, like, launch nukes from any piece of land in the world. But it's, it's, it's like a glorified robot dinosaur. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like a two, like, it's the most, like, if you had to design something to be able to go across any piece of land, you would not do legs. Legs are not a good like mechanical thing to be like. Yeah, this makes sense. I mean, we've we've known from like the nineteen twenties that tracks are like are, are the way are to the go. best way. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Nope. Um, but yes, yeah, so you have this elaborate conversation with him, and then all of a sudden he has a heart attack, a very dramatic heart attack. I want to yeah, kind of like dial it down. Like, have a less dramatic heart attack. He's like Darpa chief. He's but the the whole oh, there's that really weird part in the conversation where, um. 
you're like talking and one of the soldiers comes walking along and you're like, and you're like, like hiding up against the wall he's like I'm not doing anything <laughs> he bangs on the door and this is like a really iconic line that I remember because it gets said a lot throughout the whole kind of game in parts and he knocks on the door and he's like shut up in there will ya <laughs> <laughs> and Snake's just like pressed against the wall and then the guy walks away and they immediately resume their conversation and yeah, did you think he was just talking back. to himself he's just <laughs> yeah. playing two voices uh and I believe he says that Psychomantis got his code because they they both the two people you yes. talk to both have a separate code that yeah. is the thing that allows Metal Gear to be activated. And what this guy says, the DARPA chief, is yeah. that like I gave Psychomantis the code because you know his amazing psychic abilities got it out of me. It's like oh, yes, okay. well, yeah. So the 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 principle is that there are two codes needed to launch the nuke. And that Psychomantis has essentially interrogated uh, DARPA chief and has the DARPA chief's code and is supposedly working on Kenneth Baker and getting Baker's code at this point. And this is when the DARPA chief tells you that, I believe it's the DARPA chief that tells you there's a key card that you can use to override Metal Gear and basically Mm. stop the launch. Yeah. And... It cuts to the woman who is like, "Oh, that key card," and that's all that's said about it. Jeez, he's wild. Um, yeah, and then the Harper the Harp- yeah, chief, has, the a heart chief has a heart attack and dies. Yep. And you're like, "Okay, you're like, well, well, I'm glad you finished our conversation before you died. It would have been really awkward. It was very convenient. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you uh, died halfway through that sentence. Where am I supposed um, to go yeah. next? And then you're kind of left in this room, and um. I don't know, did you guys actually watch the radar when the kerfuffle next door happens? Yeah, I was watching it, and there's, you can see like the little dots like I, moving I around. Also, just... there's SOCOM bullets underneath Darpa Chief's bed. There is, yeah, for some reason. Because that makes sense. Because you know what you want to keep with your prisoners is bullets. That's Not mm-hmm. just bullets, but a, a crate of bullets that continuously oscillates underneath the bed. <laughs> perfect. It's a perfect system. I uh, just realized there are so many things that that tutorial doesn't tell you. Holy shit. No, it doesn't tell you that you no. can sneak underneath things. Literally nothing. Ammo. It does you can, no- yeah. You can sneak so under the tanks in the tank hangar as well, no, by the way. The you can oh, use them to. Of course. Of course you can. Um, and just while I remember this, if you equipped, if, if you open your item menu and have rations equipped, they act as fairies. So when you die, it automatically consumes a, r- a ration and gives you back X amount of health. And also, I didn't know that. Yeah. if you need to reload your gun, you can see i don't know how it works on a playstation classic but on what i'm playing on you equipped it with the r2 your r2 into the menu right equipped the gun and then if you press r1 it unequips it and then r1 equips it right if no, you it, do that the... it will reload the gun oh, okay because my experience with reloading was just once you run out of bullets it just automatically reloads, reloads. Oh no, if you when you can see yourself getting close, if you just double tap R1, it unequips and reequips and then has a full magazine. So Great. yeah, that makes sense. Uh I have a question about things that I have no idea what they do in this game. What is the point of the cigarettes other than being <laughs> just a very nineties reference? Oh you can't tell I can't us. tell you. No. Oh. They do okay. come into play. I can't wow. tell you. Right. It, it kind of alluded to it in the conversation with Naomi Hunter when Snake mm-hmm. is like, "You never know when you're going to need them." Like they do, they are a very, very he's key like, item. Like uh, I'm pretty sure when building. you click on them, they take just like a little sliver of your health away. 
Oh yeah, because you can smoke them. Yes. You can smoke them. Because yeah. we did that several times for fun. And it'll just take like of your health away. And then you're yes, like, well, yeah. well, at least they were like, I guess, sort of like a PSA against smoking. <laughs> anyway, the, the lady next door who was listening to our conversation has now escaped and, and knocked out some of the yeah. guards and is now opening our cell door, which yeah. is very helpful. So you're trapped yes. in there. Uh, and then this is the point in which I was talking about the weird humor thing is when you leave, there's a naked man in like the pyramid pose as he's been knocked out and he's just like oh he's fully face down completely nude and i'm like yeah what what because she took yeah, his clothes. He is... no i know i know why <laughs> that wasn't the reasoning i was confused well because the, the weird thing is just like that humor like kai said because you can go into first person and stare at his pixelated junk cool 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 cool, 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 cool. but before all of that the door opens and um there is a cutscene between this female and Solid Snake where he kind of refers to her as a rookie and her hands are shaking. Oh, yeah. And then you are ambushed by three or four guards and you essentially have to fight your way out. And to begin with, she is very... Hesitant useless. to kill. Okay, <laughs> hesitant to kill is probably a better way of saying it, yeah. yeah. Uh, t- to be fair... Maybe not as useless, but we died a lot in this section of yeah. the game too. Uh, we well, call we call her green, like I think four times in one conversation. Yes, like yeah. you're a green, you're a green rookie. You're so green. And she's like, yeah. "All right, I get it. I'm fucking green." Jesus, because like you, the the soldiers come through the door and you, you know, kill them. And then there's like a little mini cutscene where she kind of screams and goes full auto and kills three of them. <laughs> yeah, it's and then all of a sudden she can kill people. She's fine. Yeah, um, but. I feel like we need to talk about the shooting mechanic of this game. Oh, it's real bad. It's not good. How did you find it? It's bad. I know you said it's bad, but like... It's it's just hard. It, it's not... It's not. It gets terrible during the boss fight. That, that's, yeah. that's what I think. It's almost like it tries to, to have like a, kind of a sense of auto-lock-on, but then not at the same time. And yeah. like halfway when it auto-lock-ons, it's like, no, I'm not going to auto uh, and then goes <laughs> off of it. That's that has been my experience. So it's like maybe like two bullets will hit, and then it'll like jolt to the right or something, and then I'll miss like the rest of my. Well, it's it's interesting because I was playing at the beginning of this scene when the the three guys because like at first it's three soldiers that run it. That was the first, and then she won't shoot, and all you literally have to do is press the shoot button, and it just like kills all three of them in a row. And like, there's really no movement you have to do, so it gives you this no, false no. sense of like like oh. It's gonna yeah. be easy. It's just it's just blah blah's people, yeah. and you don't have to worry about it. And then you yell at her because you're like, you know, Agreed. kill them. And then you go through that cutscene where she murders three other ones. But then just waves of enemies start coming in, and that that lock on comfort that you once had just a moment oh, ago is completely gone. And you're just firing bullets around in random patterns in this room, and you're like, well, all right, this is yeah, this is it's great. the the shooting mechanics in this game. That I mean, they're a struggle for me, and this is like my. 15th playthrough of this game <laughs> it's, it's a very weird mechanic so i guess for anyone who who isn't familiar it's on paper the idea is that you kind of point snake in the direction of an enemy and then you hold square and snake locks onto the enemy and then by pressing square you shoot in that direction that is the the principle of it now again obviously we could talk about how it's not talked about in the tutorial at, yeah, at all. all not at all not there's at all. not even like any kind of shooting 
tutorial at all in that game in the in the beginning. Not only that, no, you can you can run and shoot, which oh, is we'll, we'll something you we'll, can we'll only know by looking it up and learning the ridiculous. You'd have to have a massive thumbs a to even figure this out on your own. But just like it doesn't. I don't even remember how to do that. Oh, you, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about. Yeah, that we'll talk we go, about we, it. We went to uh, uh, the ocelot fight because that's what I did okay. Now. Oh no, we was talking about um after you managed to kill these people. Correct, yes. Um there is like another little misogynistic cutscene kind of <sighs> a little stares bit. at her ass as she walks away. Yeah, yeah, I tried to dumb it down, but it's really nice, it's just pure misogynistic. She yeah. she it's essentially a pointless cutscene. What was a... Yes and no. Okay. The the arse staring is pointless, yes. Um, but so the idea of the cutscene is that you've defeated these people and now she is running away to the elevator, um, and is essentially escaping away from you without telling you who she is or why she was there or anything. And she runs towards the elevator and there's like a slow-mo Baywatch-esque <laughs> close-up of her ass for some reason, which I don't want to say comes into play later, but it does come into play later. I don't know if that's better or worse. I know that ass anywhere. <laughs> Just like... And yeah, but <laughs> the the idea of the cutscene is that she is escaping, and she is this mystery person. And you don't know who she is. You don't know why she was there. Yeah. Um. And she takes the lift, and she disappears into the night. And you are now left with the knowledge that you've seen the a terrorist. nice ass. And you can the terrorists have one of the two codes they need to launch the nuke right. and that you need to get to Kenneth Baker, who is in the second floor basement and essentially save him before the terrorists can get his code. Yes. Which I have so many plot questions that mm-hmm. conflict between the DARPA chief and Becker, but I will wait until we get there to ask <laughs> them because there's some things that Baker or Becker, whatever his name is, tells you that would be very confusing for how they got the code in the first place from the DARPA chief, but we'll get there. We'll get there. I want to know. So yeah, the DARPA chief, Uh, you you get the, you get the level one uh, card for the DARPA chief. And now you have to, which can we just say he is the fucking one of the two spearheads of this operation. And he only has has level level one one access. And this goes up to six, by the way. I was like, yeah, this next area, you realize there's level six access that you can get. I will say, if you're if you're thinking about it from like a like a sneaky perspective, I have this con- conspiracy theory face on. Yeah, because it's like, all right, he's the big he's the big man on campus. So you want to give him low level security so that like people can't attack attack him and take his high level security because he's just pretty much he's a scientist. Like, right. yeah, he's high up, but he's not a soldier. So you don't want, you you don't want to give like super high because he'll be with people who have higher clearance that can get him into places. Think this is some tinfoil hat shit. I was man. just about to say that. He just put on his tinfoil hat. Yeah, well, you know, I'm trying to explain this game in which you love, so <laughs> deal with my tinfoil hat. <laughs> there is... Uh, okay, right. The, the other thing we need to discuss, because this is one of the conspiracies that I want to talk about, there is a hallucination that happens. Your first introduction to Psychomantis is as Meryl is escaping. Um, and so you are presented with this weird leather clad gas mask wearing person who is floating on the ground and do either of you happen to remember what he says no no but i'm sure i will once you say it (laughs) he says something along the lines of like good girl that's it 
just as oh, I yeah. need you to. I do remember. I do. Rem- I remember that because I remember how it didn't make any goddamn sense. Also, everything in this game to this point is realism. Like, okay, I mean, maybe not a, like a lot of realism, but it's at least like, okay, we're a spy. This is a base. Like everything makes sense. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, there is a floating man saying things that make no sense out of context, and you're just like, wait, what? And then they, they refer to him as Psychomantis, which, first of all, is such a cool name. Great <laughs> job. Like, it's just an awesome name. But, but like, and then and then people are talking about how he has psychic abilities, and I'm like, what is happening? So he <laughs> is telepathic and telekinetic. Wow. Good for the him. full package. So the idea is that not only can he read people's minds, but he can manipulate objects and move them at will. And I believe the floating is him somehow like i think he manipulates the air underneath him to lift him off of it it's really yeah it's, it's like somehow, a whole somehow your explanation made le- it it makes less less even more confused <laughs> yeah yeah people- <laughs> uh just know he's a bad dude yeah he seems like a bad um guy. but there is a cutscene that happens that um i don't know if you guys remember the cutscene either the 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 psychomantis hallucination no Oh, guys. Okay. So <laughs> there, there are is a, so many cutscenes. <laughs> there is a cutscene. I'll say it, and you'll be like, oh, yeah, I remember now. There's a cutscene where three people are standing around a man that is strapped to this contraption. And one of them says, you idiot, you killed him. And the person who you later find out is Revolver Ocelot is basically saying about how. He's like, I'm sorry, I didn't expect him to put up so much of a fight. Like, And you get the impression that basically this person has been tortured to death. I don't remember and that at all. Psychomantis kind of says for his gas mask, he's like, boss, I have an idea. And <laughs> there is a very, very small glimpse that the person on the table is the DARPA chief. Mm. I think I, it's, called, it's, called, it's coming back a little bit now. Which is basically hints at such a big plot twist but i can't tell you it because i don't want to ruin it but it is like sowing the seeds of the plot twist the darpa do you, chief okay. is the bad guy and he do you his remember own there is a i think there's actually a cutscene that you can skip before you even play the game so when you boot the game up it has that konami logo and it's like do 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 oh i definitely we definitely skip yeah that. we 100% skip that Oh, okay, right. There is a scene there that tells you the powers of every single person in Foxhound. <laughs> Why? And there is- Why would you put it there? <laughs> I'm sorry. Wait, what? You have literally a like a manual you can read of the first two games, which would have been a perfect place to put this, by the way. <laughs> Maybe a little backstory on uh, what you're going to be going. Through. But instead, but instead, you put it before the That's production great. companies. Well, there is. There is a, on the main menu, there is a bit called briefing and you can watch like a 20 minute cutscene that tells you the briefing of the, yeah, but so basically Foxhound, (laughs) Foxhound is made up of six people currently, right? You have Liquid Snake, who is the boss, (laughs) you have Psychomantis, who is the telekinesis person, you have Revolver Ocelot, who is uh, kin of torture and master of firearms, you have uh, Raven, who is a shaman. You have Sniper Wolf, who is the best sniper in the world. And then you have Decoy Octopus, who is the master of disguise. Gross. (laughs) Decoy Octopus. 
Yeah. Uh, you put in two and two together. <laughs> this game is complicated as hell. It's what I've come to the conclusion. Uh, so a couple things moving forward. The next thing you have to do is go to the armory. Uh, mm-hmm. After after Lady runs away and we stare at her ass. Uh, you have to go to the armory. And, and, and in, the, in the armory, there are different containers let's call them containers they're yeah. rooms but they're they're small and they all have different level access written on the front of them which means that you only can access some of them uh and the one you can access which is which is level one is you get grenades but you also get c4 this is mm-hmm. this is where my first main issue with the game oh oh it's it's main is an understatement because Reading this now, because I can see here that if you have the thermal goggles, which they did not explain how to get or that they were important, you can see secret rooms, which would have been incredibly helpful. But for us, who did not get the thermal goggles, we just got C4, and we were so confused, because we were like, what do we do? I have a feeling that you guys are kind of... Bad at this game. (laughs) Not paying... paying Maybe because of the length of the cutscene, some information Maybe. is being... Sk- Did you not get the cutscene bit where they talk about how... I believe it's the DARPA chief tells you that they transferred him to the second level basement and then they cemented over the walls, but they didn't have time to paint them, so the cemented walls are a different colour. No, 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 no. I, I, I heard that. I'm not going to make that connection. I'm not... Like, <laughs> unless someone else... Like, unless Mei Ling comes up when you enter that room and is like, oh... Look, look at that over there. I, that wall is weird. And you're like... Why is she like, from Jersey? Uh, <laughs> I, saw, I don't want to do her actual accent. I saw your face you, so... you were just about to do like an Asian, a very stereotypical <laughs> yeah, Asian I, accent. I, I swerved at the Fair. last moment okay, away yeah, from yeah. racism, which <laughs> really her accent is so strange. It's somewhere between having like speech therapy issues and then also being Asian, but I'm not even going to get into that. But, but like there's no real explanation other than a very subtextual... and. We did we did figure it out at, at some point. And this is the part, I mean, I had told you that we kind of backtracked. We got all the way here, and we went all the way back to the heliport to yeah. try to figure out what to wow. do. And that's when we went and through the back. top. Yeah, that's when we went through the top, and then back uh, here. And we figured out that like the two far back walls kind of around where you come into this room are, are different colored. We're like, oh, we can bomb them. We figured but- it out by Googling it. Yeah, but we couldn't. You can't see. You can't see the one <laughs> yeah. that leads. You can't so, the, the armory when you physically cannot see it is up against. So this the is wall. this is the one issue I do have with it because it would make sense. So the the idea is that in the bottom left corner of the of this room as a whole, there is a uh, wall that you are meant to blow up that leads into this kind of secret tunnel that takes you to the revolver ocelot boss fight. Um. The problem is that the game makes such a big deal of the fact that the wall is a different color because it wasn't painted, but then they chose to use a wall that you can't physically see without being in first person. Because as you're coming down, you can see the top wall and you can see the sides, but you can't see the bottom. Now, would it have made more sense to have one of the side walls be the wall you blow up so you can see it as you run past? Yes, (laughs) <laughs> can I defend the choice? No, I can't. I, I really can't. Because <laughs> you're right. It, it seems it would have been easy because there's two of these walls up top. So you're like, oh, I, I, I recognize these walls. And there's others that you see that you can blow up. It would have been easy to just like put one on the right or put one on the left and have that be the way. But they put one in an angle where you, unless you're going into first person for some reason, which there's not necessarily a reason to 
do at that corner. There's not like something no. else that you could see. There's no other way that you would find this area. No. Yeah. Yeah. This is I, I can't really defend that. I don't know I don't know if they were trying to push you to go into first person. I don't know if they expected you to have the thermal go I I don't know. But looking back at it, it doesn't make sense. You know, you've got these walls that are so clearly in vision. Right. And then you pick a wall that's out of it. Because the weird thing is, after you blow this wall up in the bottom left, there are two more that you blow up. Mm-hmm. And you can see them because oh, they're yeah. on the they're, sides. They're, they're like, fairly obvious the once you see them, yeah. Um. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know why. I don't, I can't. I do have to ask, did you guys manage to fall down the trap doors that are in this area? Yes, and, and not only one time, but, but multiple times. Uh, because, A... There at first you think oh there's one and they do look different they yeah. look they, they, and they there is a, a visual there's a visual bit. difference yeah, yeah. however uh, when you're just running into a place and I understand this is a stealth game but we're not necessarily great at that you're just like running around and you're like oh look at these containers and then you fall in one and then there's a room that the wall you blow up opens and there's two of them in there to get an item and and I mean we got to a point too where I mean they like Kai was saying they're pretty easily noticeable and you can hear them when you step on them. We got to a point of, of being extremely lost that I was like, maybe we're supposed to, to fall, fall down. down. Maybe this is maybe this <laughs> that is that wasn't answer. the case. Uh, no, no, <laughs> oh dear. Oh yeah, yeah. Like eight fools. These are the weird trapdoors I think I alluded to when we were playing Ocarina. Yeah, I was like, like, they're just there and they there? don't make sense. Um, I think it's there just to dick with you. I'm not even gonna lie. Like yeah. they serve no purpose. And it makes no sense because they're on the second floor of a fucking bomb storage facility. <laughs> so it's all on two stories. It doesn't it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, once you blow up the lower left door that is necessary for you to blow up, but no way to see it. That is the tunnel to the first boss, which is Revolver Ocelot. Uh, and you kind of mm-hmm. go down a hallway, and you blow up another wall, uh, and then you go down another hallway, and then there's a very large room. And uh, you see that, uh, A, your radar doesn't work, uh, which I'm pretty sure the Maylene calls you and is like, there's some electrical interference. That was now better. She's, now she's a robot. Whatever. <laughs> she's just throwing a tour of the world. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll do, I'll do all of my accents for her, and none of them will sound anything like she actually sounds like. Uh, but, you know, there's electrical interference you can't see on the radar. And then, uh, because, you know, this makes sense for some reason they have rigged uh becker baker Baker. whatever his name is baker up to a central pillar and then put wires that are rigged to c4 which is just like that's a lot what why and then this is where we have our first official introduction to revolver ocelot and let me tell you there's a cutscene that happens before this oh my God, so much guns but 90 percent of this cutscene is him just flipping his goddamn gun on his finger <laughs> he spins it too much why it's so yeah. over the top it's so, so much gun spinning it, it, this is one of those things that if you played the rest of the series this is kind of a trait of revolver ocelot so too much yes yeah, so a revolver ocelot he first appears in metal gear solid 3 which is um, he's introduced to Big Boss. He plays Big Boss in Metal Gear Solid 3. And he has a different gun and he's trying to spin it and he can't spin it properly. And him and Big Boss have a fight. And Big Boss, I believe, someone's going to quote me if I'm wrong, but I believe Big Boss is the one who recommends a Colt Action Revolver to him. 
And then as you start playing more games in Metal Gear Solid 5, Revolver Ocelot is like a best friend of Big Boss. So him and Big Boss were like really close friends and they fought side by side. And he is like this seasoned soldier who is also a sociopath and absolutely loves torturing people. Oh no, he he's completely psychotic. So, well, hold on, a couple things here about the, the cold action revolver. Got a, got a couple of issues. <laughs> I, the I best handgun say. in the world. Did you not hear uh, him? Oh, I heard him. <laughs> but uh, science says different. First of all, the cold action revolver was, was designed in like 1860. All right, so we're, we're talking a very long time ago. It holds six bullets because it's a revolver and that's pointless for some reason. But also... It's very inaccurate. If you actually look up the Colt Revolver, they had terrible rifling. We were working with, like, 19th century technology. We have a SOCOM pistol that can hold 12 rounds and can be put in water, taken out, and still used. Like, bro, you have the... You are you are using Outdated the musket technology. of pistols. Like, I don't understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, They're also very heavy. Yeah. Yeah, also very heavy. Also, I don't understand why there's... He's the king of firearms, but there's also a sniper person in the group, which is like, you think that would overlap with Ocelot? Because, like, firearms, sniper's a firearm, but apparently not. This is a different kind. It's very confusing. I'm confused all the time. <laughs> it's constantly confusing. No, you'll, this... you'll get introduced to Sniper Wolf, Laura. Like, her, her and Volver Ocelot have very different styles of... Well, I uh, hope she doesn't sit there fight. spinning her sniper, sniper. just... <laughs> No, apparently she sits there for a week without moving um, and just kind of stalks her prey and waits for the exact moment. I think they say that the longest she waited without food, water, and without moving was like just under seven days before she killed someone. They should have called her like sniper. Oh, there's that fish. It's in the ocean and it'll like lay at the bottom of the sand and just wait. I know it's it's skunkfish in Pokemon because, you know. That's my only I know the one you're on about. But like yeah. it'll it'll wait for like five days before it catches something. That's She's fine. not a wolf. She's that fish. Anyway, that was that was pointless. <laughs> sniper that fish. Um, um, yeah, revolver also lot. Sniper's gunfish is a wild fight, and he'll just like just blurt out these random ass things while fighting. <laughs> Draw. He's like, like, I love reloading. Oh, there are so many weirdly sexual things he says. He's like oh, there's nothing better than sliding bullets into a well-greased chamber. And you're like, wait, what? That is 100% a euphemism. Yeah, and then he's like, there's nothing better than reloading during a fight. And I was like, yeah, there is something better killing the person. That is clearly the better option here. He's like, I love reloading. So so before you get into the fight, you're kind of introduced to Kenneth Baker. He's rigged up to this fin. And you realize that if you touch these wires, the C4 will blow up. Mm-hmm. How I, many times did you guys touch the them. C4? All wires. <laughs> also, okay, so we 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 are given C4, and it's like blah blah. You blow up the walls, and you're like, oh, this makes sense. This boss is very hard. He has very large health. He's like, what well, we got to do? We got to put the C4 down and chase them around. Oh, and blow don't up do the that. C4. No, no. We thought we were geniuses. We're like, we, we got this. We got to take us ten minutes. And then, unfortunately, if you use any explosives other than the flash grenades and the chaff grenades. Uh, it blows up big, bigger, and explodes. Yeah. Look, mm. so so, I think that this game has a lot of intuitive mechanics mm-hmm. for being 1998. The first person view is is super cool. Crawling, uh, being able to like change the camera angle when you go up against walls to see enemies better, knocking on walls, all that is super intuitive. Shooting isn't great, but having running and shooting is. Feels impossible. Yeah. The, the buttons that you have to hold down is why. So first off, you have to pull out 
you're done. So you pull out your soap pistol, which with, is square with, with R1. Then or you hold, R1, yeah. yeah. And then you hold down square to kind of, and, and X at the same time to to draw yes, your gun. Yeah, I remember. To no, draw yeah. your gun and to walk. Mm-hmm. So usually when you shoot, you kind of stop your momentum and then you press square to shoot. But if you're holding down square and X, you can hold your gun up and you can run with it. But to shoot is you have to lean your thumb off of square while still holding X and then push your thumb back onto square to shoot while running. Yeah. Tell mm-hmm. me if that makes sense to you. Because it, it did. It, it's fucking it impossible. Make any sense. Also, Cons- considering that X is the crouch button. Right? I crouched so much. And then I got to a point where I crouched and probably by sheer luck, he kept missing. And I was like, oh, if I crouch, he won't be able to shoot me. Which and is then, not true. No, he shot me and I died while I was crouching. And I was like, well, God damn it. But again, see, I I went down a different route. I just, I kept running until he was reloading. And yes, then that was, that was kind would of just my... just stop and shoot him afterwards. I didn't try and run and shoot. That was kind of my beginning. Uh, to, to explain the boss fight a little bit, you, you're chasing Revolver Ocelot around the rig that Baker is set up to. and he'll... It's like that Benny Hill film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he'll <laughs> shoot you. And some of his bullets are directly towards you, but sometimes he'll shoot the walls and ricochet the bullets off a couple of walls to come and hit you, which... One of the things he always says is he's like, I know where the bullets go, or something along those lines. The bullets go where I want them to. Yeah, the bullets go where I want them to, which is Uh, like, all right. And after his six bullets, he will reload. So like my (laughs) my first uh, instinct was just dodge all of his bullets in the very beginning. Also, I had died a couple times, so when I came back into this fight, I didn't have full health. So I we had to doing do this boss health. fight with like half health, which was made this game even harder. Or this rations, boss fight. bro. I didn't. Have we any don't have rations. any. We didn't have any rations. We didn't oh, know where shit. to go. We had gone all throughout the facility already to get to this point to figure out that C four was the answer, which we already had. We were tired and hungry and frustrated. <laughs> oh, you're not having a good time. No, <laughs> no, and it was fine up until this revolver ocelot fight that I wanted to rip my hair out. Yeah, and but eventually. We got it to a point where you could get to Revolver Ocelot while he was reloading and then kind of continually chase him and shoot him as he worked his way around. One of the things as well is when you do hit him, it takes off a sliver of his health, but there's probably like a second of like invincibility frames. Like he'll blink Which and is, you can't yeah. shoot him. Wild. <laughs> he does that like um, like the damage boost thing in Mario. Like he's, yeah. he's like invincible for a second or two, so you can't just spray bullets at him. Right. So our, um, our, our yeah. method was to avoid his bullets shoot him and then follow him so like he'll his invincibility flames frames will blink and then you just continuously shoot him and you do that i mean it took us probably 40 tries to get to that point but we eventually did it five words five words this is the first boss (laughs) that's what i told ben (laughs) like i get it it would be like okay sixth boss yeah it's fun it's challenging there's a man who blows up in the middle if you touch things wrong and you have to chase this damn ocelot around a square but this is the first boss. Which is weird because the second boss is actually a lot easier. Oh my God. I don't believe you. <laughs> no, genuinely. Like, I I'm not even. Now. Like, the second boss is a lot easier. But um, yeah, Revolver Ocelot is an interesting fight. Um, you kind of do a lot of merry go round chasing and, you know, shooting. Uh, but eventually, you beat him. Yeah, and he after our thirty-eighth attempt, he makes a comment about how you have the same code name as the boss, uh, obviously being Liquid Snake, and he's like, "Okay, now I can start to take things seriously," and he turns around to shoot you with his arm stuck out, 
and then all of a sudden there is a massive spray of blood and his arm falls off. Robot ninja, man. Robot ninja. Now, you don't have to tell me this, and I'm probably super wrong, but I thought I thought or think this is Raiden, but I don't know if that's a true statement. But you can continue on explaining the cutscene. <laughs> I'm going to leave you to think about that. Ooh, um, okay, okay. So the, the, the cutscene is the arm falls off, and then all of a sudden there's like, you can hear kind of wire being cut. Kenneth Baker falls to the floor. The C4 blows up, but somehow doesn't kill him. That's like yeah, a whole it, like, conundrum blows on its you own. Back and you like hit the wall, but no one else. Like I blew up that C4 a thousand times and died. <laughs> what? 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 What's so special about this time? Yeah. Um. And so, uh, Revolver Ocelot's holding his hand, and this invisible outline is there. You can see, you can't see the person. You see the outline, and then it, it kind of, the camouflage gets turned off, and you see this like gray robot with a katana. And Revolver Ocelot's like, ah, you. Uh. He also picks up his old, like his severed hand. And, yeah, like, he picks up his severed hand, it. which is still holding the gun, which is not how severed hands work. But, you know, that's fine. It's a video game. And so he's like, like, we'll meet again, Snake. Yeah, and then jumps out of the C4 <laughs> hole in the wall and just, like, disappears. And we're like, what? And then the robot has a panic attack <laughs> in the middle of the room, just starts, like... He's like, yeah, he kind of has like a freak out and becomes yeah, he, like electrocuted and starts shouting yeah, and then disappears. disappears. And you're we're like, wow, okay, well, that was special. And then we're left with Baker, who's just, you There's know, another like 40 minute cutscene of Baker explaining which Lord. honestly was probably my favorite cutscene. Was the this conversation actually quite good cutscene? Yeah, it was, it was succinct, sort of. I mean, it was long, but it gave you a lot of information. It was very good at delivering that information, and I was yeah. left confused. I think one was, of the things that you, know, you were going to bring this up was that uh, during this conversation, Baker will tell you that they tried to get the information or the codes out of his head, but they have something implanted in their head which yeah. stops okay. Psychomantis so from... So does the DARPA chief. So yeah. here we are. So they... Okay. DARPA chief gave them the code because Psychomantis apparently psychomantis him enough to get the code out and then this guy baker is like oh the military implanted these things in our head so we can't tell and i'm like wait a minute why didn't the darpa chief have it but we learned that the darpa chief did have it which is when you tell baker they already have the code he's confused because he's like what do you mean they already have the code we have these things implanted on our head that can't be possible and then there's no explanation the conversation just moves I'm on telling you, darpa chief is not dead he's the bad guy mm. oh, oh. All right wow no you're not okay oh well <laughs> okay right so this is a very long cut scene and there's a lot of talk about you know nuclear warfare and in general baker talks a lot about what the darpa chief told you and how this is funded by the pentagon he thinks originally that you've been sent by the pentagon to kill them to to basically shut them up as part of the project you know so they can't tell anyone um spoiler alert kenneth baker also has a heart attack and dies <laughs> In the same not, dramatic black and white fashion as uh, the Darpa Chief. Not before he gives you the optical disc, which contains all of the data for the Metal Gear project of, like, you know, how far it can fire missiles and how well it performs, etc. Mm -hmm. um, so the key kind of takeaways from this are, as you said, Kenneth Baker and the Darpa Chief both had implants in their head that stopped uh, basically them being mind read so psychomantis shouldn't be able to give them like to read their mind and get the code he also tells you that the card you need to override the code to stop metal gear rex he gave to quote unquote that woman 
but he doesn't remember her frequency on the codec to be able to yeah. call her. No, no, it's not that he, he. It's not even like oh, he's I, like I don't oh, know it. I he's forgot. like yeah, he's <laughs> like dramatic oh. pause. He's like the code is, and it's like silent and like zooms on his face. He's like oh, actually, I actually forgot. forgot it. He's like, but it's on the back of the CD case, and you're like, wait, what? <laughs> What's happening right now? Uh, yeah, and, and so. we don't we don't have the CD case. So. And he gave it to us. No, 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 but we don't. Isn't it on the back of the actual game case? Isn't yeah, that I was going to say this is oh, this is a very famous gotcha. this is a very famous fin. There's a lot of people assumed it was on the back of the case, and so tried to do like a Resident Evil style examination of the case. What you're actually meant to do is on the back of the PS1 case, there is a screenshot of him talking to the woman, and it has her frequency on it, and that's how you get it. That's pretty cool, though. I mean, it doesn't help us in this situation at all, but it's pretty cool. Um, no, so. Uh, but the other thing that he says that I don't know if you guys remember is he tells Snake that he needs to ask Naomi Hunter about the cyborg ninja because she knows about him yes, and I she knows who that. he really is. Uh, she uh, not, just avoids that question. Not entirely. only does he say that, but as we get to the heart attack, which are not heart attacks, we learn he says something along the lines of, oh, I can't believe they're doing this, like, or they did it, which means that like some form of remote death technology exists to be able to murder people whenever they want which is terrifying he also like at the end of this conversation warns snake about the like the pentagon's real yeah. plan he's like be careful snake like uh but but to to fill in the middle of this conversation it's a lot about uh nukes and how that you know nuclear waste uh goes missing and also about how the pentagon works and how black money works in the pentagon he also makes and... a comment of those like pesky liberals trying to take yeah the yeah and i was like whoa <laughs> excuse me he's like the pesky liberals on the defense council and i was like excuse me all right <laughs> You're the one trying um, to build a giant nuke dinosaur. So, like, cool your jets, bucko. It's fine. Yeah, so I, I've i been keeping track of the conspiracies that we have so far in the game. <laughs> We're going to need a conspiracy um, counter. Oh, oh, God. We are we are currently on four conspiracies that I can tell. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the four conspiracies are the Pentagon involvement in a Metal Gear project and what isn't Campbell telling Snake because there's right. a lot of dialogue of, like, that seems like Roy Campbell, who is the head of this operation, should know something, but is either not fully in the know or is not telling us everything. Yeah. Um, there is the psychomantis hallucination and what that actually meant, because Naomi makes it clear that that wasn't a hallucination. That was like some kind of psychic interference where we saw a memory of psychomantises. Yeah. Um, there is who is the cyborg ninja? What isn't Naomi telling us? <laughs> who is the cyborg ninja? And yeah. there is also why have two people both seemingly died from heart attacks after being introduced to Solid Snake? Yeah, and like, then what is it that triggered that? Yeah, and then I think there's a thing where Naomi says like, "Oh, we can't tell how they died until there's an autopsy." So it's like until we get the body back. Like, like I think Snake is like, "Oh, they both had heart attacks," and then she goes, "Well, like, there's no way to really tell until we get their bodies back." which mm-hmm. is kind of how that cutscene ends. Uh, this is, like, I'm trying so hard not to tell you guys, but <laughs> everything you need to know about the Psychomantis hallucination has been told to you already. Oh. Psychomantis can use his psychic powers to kill people at distance. Okay, yeah. I'm just, I'm going to say this, right? And you guys can make of it what you will, okay? What we saw was a memory of Psychomantises, correct? Mm-hmm. Psychomantis was in a room with two other people, one of who was Revolver Ocelot, who was seemingly torturing somebody who looked like DARPA chief and had killed him. Psychomantis then says, 
don't worry, boss, I have a plan. You are then introduced to the DARPA chief who tells you that the code was given to the terrorists, but you later learn that the code can't have been given to the terrorists because of the implant, and you know that there is a master of the skies on the Foxhound team. It wasn't real. It was the octopus! It wasn't real. It was the octopus. It was it was it was Heidi McOctopus. Darpa Chief was already dead. Yeah. Darpa Chief was already dead. Rip Darpa Chief. Why would Octopus Um, give us a level one card though? uh... Plot? (laughs) (laughs) Like that's the thing. Like, all right, sure, whatever. We'll we'll go with that. It's that it's what's his real name? I just know the octopus part. Disguise octopus. Disguise octopus? Yeah, decoy octopus. Decoy octopus. Alright, so if it's decoy octopus. He provides us with a access card that gets us to then well lead to the events that removes Ocelot's hand, which mm-hmm. is wild. But also, I still don't understand why they would wire Becker Baker whatever with C four because it doesn't make any sense. They they need the information from him. There's no reason that they would wire it Unless up to they kill him. Have the information. So confusing. And Baker was just a ploy to get us there. To get us there. But we don't even know what's happening. We're the most confused. <laughs> We think that people are dying from heart attacks. Close, Ben's you guys are so close. But yeah. the problem is that you guys have you guys have as much of an understanding of that part of the story as you can at this part of the game. Okay, that's um, it's not a plot hole. It's just there is a lot more that yet. needs to. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot more that needs to be unpacked. This is the first section of this game. Look at that. And it is the first section of this game. Yeah, as far as you guys being on track to understand what is happening, you are as on track as you can be at this moment of time. Okay, I'm hooked. I'm hooked, though. I will say, I started a little questioning, because we've we've reached the end of where we're playing through up until this part of the podcast. So after we not kill, but beat Revolver Ocelot. Yeah, do the boss fight with him. And he runs away, and then this is the end of where we decided to end this first section of the game. And I started, I was a little hesitant. I was like, this is like... I like the intro yeah. and the music. It was very cinematic, and that, like, got me hooked because I was like, oh, this is going to be a good story. And then there was a lot of, like, confusion and just bitter anger in the middle part of being confused <laughs> and not knowing how to play. And then Revolver Ocelot happened, and we did that, like, 90 times. But then this conversation really just, like, brought me back in it, and I was like, oh, there's something going on here. Yeah, you gotta find the secrets. And I'm ready. I'm ready to find the uh, secrets. Well, next week. Yeah, yeah. So explain to our listeners where we're playing through next week, Ben. Um, so next week, we are playing to what is probably the most famous part of this entire game, which is we are playing from um, from the tank hannah and finding the woman um, whose frequency is in the playthrough, is in the walkthrough that I sent you guys, by the way. Gotcha. Um so we are trying to find the woman and then basically unpack everything. And we are going to finish after the Psycho Mantis boss fight. Okay. And this boss fight is infamous, not yeah. just in the Metal Gear franchise, but like as even people who are not fans of it and yeah. know of the boss fight love it. And that's what I was going to say. As much as I have never experienced Metal Gear Solid, I know of this boss fight in the context of the boss fight. Just, just, all right, so... Just one thing I want you to do when you're in the boss fight with Psycho Mantis, mm-hmm. just go into first person mode. Okay, that's all I want from you. That's just that. I could do that. That's for everyone. Yeah, yeah. just for that's everybody. Just for that's everybody a free one. That's, there you go. that's a free one. Just that's a very <laughs> nice little a nice little nod a little um, for something that you can do. Okay. Yeah. Well, guys, that was our our first 
experience the first kind of leg boss fight of Metal Gear Solid. We laughed. We cried. We cringed. There was a lot of misogyny. <laughs> misogyny. Misogyny gets on. But uh, the, the plot has now hooked me. I'm excited to learn yeah. what we do next. So, guys, make sure to follow us on social media, Instagram and Twitter, at PlayAlongPod, for all the updates on the podcast. Um, like Ben said, next week, going up through the uh, Revolver Ocelot again, the Psycho Mantis <laughs> boss fight. And it's going to be wild. Uh, but with that, we will see you guys next week. Peace out. Goodbye. See you later, guys. Thank you.